Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Love Podcast Ain't Nonsense is the Polish Joe Podcast! Woo! Woo! Oh, whoops. <laughs> no. My girlfriend's going to leave me. Um, sadly, we are not with Ollie and Ava today, but that take that sadness and make that the opposite and double it because you should be that happy because Sean Hickey's here. Damn right I am. <laughs> Sean is that sadness and make it just unadulterated anger. Absolutely. Uh, Sean is part of of the team here at Politics Show, making his debut in Politics Show content. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, fine. Yeah. It's been a long time coming, I suppose. But um, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Yeah. First of all, let's address the elephant in the room, what we're drinking. <laughs> you described it as looking like a diabetic's piss. It is. And I think... Actually diabetic piss. Yeah. So we paid a, paid a man 20 quid and he pissed in two glasses for us. No. Well, no. Pr- producer Laura did that. But paid the man. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't. Um, actually, we should address it. It's an alcohol-free beer. I said to producer Laura, I didn't actually really fancy drink because of the fear that I suffered on a hangover yesterday. I couldn't couldn't hack it again mm. for the rest of the afternoon. Um, yeah, so it's an alcohol-free beer. I kind of wanted like to make it awful. I kind of wanted to make a point about like, oh yeah, like normalize alcohol-free beer. You can go to a pub and not drink mm. but I genuinely don't know why I don't want to drink this yeah I in think fact we're actually both having an awful time drinking <laughs> I think <laughs> if you're going to go to a pub and not drink just get a coke uh, way nicer yeah yeah. it's um, it's a safer bet I think than getting a man to piss in a piss in a glass like, like Laura did we'll have a conversation with Laura after yeah about, about seeing that again she'll learn she'll learn uh, another bit of housekeeping I'd like to give one of my now traditional shout outs to two people I met uh, two uh, Podheads, I was recently reporting at the Snap Awards on Thursday, which ah, of course, the, yeah, the support network for adult performers, or essentially the British Porn Awards on Thursday. Met two guys there, really nice, mm-hmm. uh, big fans of the pod. One came over, shouted, "Love podcast, eight nonsense," naturally, and uh, we had a nice chat. So shout out to them, and also keep your eye out uh, for that on the Joe.co.uk channel coming at some point in the future. Total rhubarb. It's the Politics Show podcast. So, Sean, we're back. We are back. For the listener, 
thanks to some editing trickery, we are recording this at a different time from the rest of the podcast, which you will hear. It is tomorrow. <laughs> if you're, we record or it's this. actually today. When If you're listening when this has been launched, this is today, but the rest was yesterday. Yes, for us, this is the future. For you, it's the present. <laughs> but for us, it's also the past. So now that's all cleared up. Um, yeah, no, that's crystal clear, I think. So we actually recorded the rest of the episode before the Commons vote yesterday about the Privileges Committee's reports into Boris Johnson. And we thought we'd be remiss not to discuss it. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing we hate, politics, Joe, it's being remiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ollie actually called up the both of us and shouted at us down the phone for not talking about it in the original part of the he'll podcast be, he'll, yesterday. He'll be, he'll be pissed off that you mentioned it, but he did do that mm-hmm. from his um, one of his many homes. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, is a landlord. It was his third or fourth home, and uh, he was there to jack up the... Uh, the prices in this slum housing that he owns. Mm-hmm. So you could hear the echo from the corridor that he was in with uh, all of the the families that were. <laughs> <laughs> and he told and he told that single mother to shut up. He did, yeah. He <laughs> might, he might, he might, <laughs> he might be annoyed about us talking about this even. Um, but anyway, while Ollie was Ollie, so Ollie is also massively against the Privileges Committee's report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, along with these Tories that yeah. we're going to talk about. So uh, the Commons did vote. To back the report, interestingly, there was a ton of abstentions mm-hmm. and seven MPs voted against the report, six of whom are Conservatives, one of whom is a Labour MP who, had to, who essentially had to force a vote in the Commons by dissenting because Labour are wanting to put it on, they say, like, want to put on record those bastards I mean, who are betraying the country. It's but, quite, a, I mean, it's not even a smart move. It's just like, it seems very standard, doesn't it, that if you want... If you want maximum damage from something like this, you don't want it to be an eyes and nose vote. Yeah. You want it to be formalized. You want everybody yeah, to yeah. see who has voted for what, right? Um, yeah, because at the next election, the MP, in the MP's constituencies, the constituency Labour Party is going to have on their leaflets voted against mm. this report. Or they'll, they'll say it in sexier language than voted against the privilege. <laughs> Big X by them. There was some... It was... It was an interesting day in Parliament in that there was lots of, I think, just very nuts moments. So, yeah. should we have a listen? Yeah, let's have a listen. Johnson did not, knowingly or intentionally, mislead this House. The reason, the reason, if people would like to listen, that I say that is that last year for six months I was one of Boris Johnson's parliamentary private secretaries. And I was the only Member of Parliament who was with him for the whole day on the publication of the Sue Gray report. When he read that. Very grateful uh, for the Honourable Lady giving way. She says, having read the report, that she sees no evidence of Boris Johnson's wrongdoing. Does she agree with me that there is none so blind as those who will not see? Those who argue that now the report has been published, it's all over and done. And those who say the dogs bark but the caravan moves on miss the wood for the trees. The caravan of this house, having moved on, will certainly come back. And then the dogs will not only merely bark, but they will bite. Is it thought that this house, when it comes to a conclusion, must be obeyed? Is it the case that we must not criticise the Dangerous Dogs Act because it was passed by this great and noble house? 
Or are we in fact allowed to criticize as a fundamental of free speech that which happens to us, that which is reported about us, that which is said of us? When somebody is in court, they are allowed to say that the court has made a mistake. They are, and the protections of courts, of the junior courts with juries sitting in them, are quite rightly, are quite rightly very strict. But you can still say that the court has got it wrong. Indeed, you're allowed to say it's got it so wrong that you may go to appeal. You don't have to kowtow. But for some reason, the Privileges Committee thinks it's in communist China and that we must kowtow. It talks about, it's not what the Prime Minister said, it's the interpretation given it by members of this House, by the media and by the public. The prime, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson cannot be held responsible for what people thought he may have meant. He should be held responsible if this report is to hold any water on what he said. I will vote against it because I think the process is flawed. I will vote against it because pleasing the opposition won't bring back the loved ones for my constituents. I will vote against it because the right and honourable gentleman has already left, so the vote in some cases is already futile. I will vote against because I think the right one gentleman has been punished enough. I will abstain because if I, I mean I will vote against because if I ask the people to forgive, then so must I. So who you heard from was you probably heard from Leonici, Nick Fletcher amongst others, they're not household names. I think most people, would, most people might struggle to name more than a handful of MPs. You'd certainly struggle to, na to name Leonici mm -hmm. and Nick Fletcher in that I don't think I've ever seen Leonici Speak for yourself. Speak are for you, yourself. Are you a Nietzsche head? I'm a Nietzschean um, Tory. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in Nietzschean economics. Was that, uh, is that like, in terms of like the Ubermensch or is that like... In terms no, of no, 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 Lee and Nietzsche. <laughs> Do not get mixed up with Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, uh, yeah, so Lee Nietzsche is just, her speech was, it was just rambling and she's made a real name for herself, which is perhaps what she wanted to do, but I think in the wrong way, mm -hmm. in that. I think there's a lot, like, out of, out of the folk that spoke yesterday, particularly um, Leonici, it seems like they've just not gotten the memo that the Conservative Party has moved on from Boris Johnson, mm. right? Like, we're now, it's now been formalized that he's done and dusted. The only time he's going to get in is if Leonici puts him on as a guest of hers to get into the <laughs> parliament, right? Like, he's going to be walking around with a visitor's pass for the rest of his life. Um, or until he creates his own party mm -hmm. and gets an MPC from that. But yeah, it just, it's peculiar how there's herself, Nick Fletcher, Bill Cash, um, that are backing somebody in a nearly like 2019, 2020 kind of way of just having, having no regard for what the Privileges Committee has found and just nitpicking on mm. small paragraphs and sentences here and there. Like even Jacob Rees-Mogg was doing it yesterday. Mm. He was naming specific paragraphs and saying, well, this in the wider context of a, what, 300 page report? Yeah, yeah. That means I cannot possibly vote for this <laughs> with this small um, 
voc- vocab error in the middle of mm-hmm. this report. You and, know, and, and, and he even abstained. Of yeah, course. he didn't. He didn't yeah, he, he yeah, didn't, yeah. He didn't follow through. He didn't. But he didn't back his boy. Same with Leonici. Like, yeah, she yeah, came yeah. out oh. all guns blazing, and then just went out with a fizzle in the end. Yeah, I think. I think it's actually quite unconservative, and I mean that in like the big C, in that the Conservative Party is so ruthless and so good at uh, shedding their shedding their skin, shedding the the trappings of the previous leader, mm. and embracing the new thing that's the thing about how ruthless they were when they got rid of thatcher mm-hmm. and there's the, but the the johnson fans within the parliamentary conservative party are clinging on to johnson he's not he, he can't do anything for them now he's, well she's a 2019 or though yeah, isn't she but like she i think she, she doesn't need to re- she needs to recognize that johnson is yesterday's man mm. he's at the moment your political career is probably is it, it's contingent on embracing Sunak or yeah. the new Conservative Party. It's, Maybe not it's, Sunak, or not even Sunakism. It's like you you got in as a an archetypal Northern Tory or like wherever wherever her constituency is. You got in <laughs> we were as the archetype. <laughs> so Leonici is from. Is the MP Grimsby, for, for Grimsby. in Great Grim, Great Grimsby? I think yeah, Great Grimsby. And uh, Sean asked where that was. I said, I said it was Derbyshire. It's not Derbyshire. Mm-hmm. And I've no idea where that and is anyway. <laughs> so Sean, he Sean could have been right. It's, it's, that's near Ipswich, isn't it? So you have two non-Englishmen discussing the geography yep. of England and... I'd love. I would love to see an English person sat here explain the geography of <laughs> Ireland or Scotland <laughs> to us because they definitely wouldn't be able to do that. I don't know. They've got some good maps of Ireland from when, from previously. <laughs> yeah, from the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't go here, savages. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were we saying? Something about Darby, Leonici. Yes. It's so the people like her, people like Nick Fletcher, I think is also a 2019er. They're getting in off of this archetype of what a Northern Tory should be mm-hmm. based off of what Dominic Cummings was vetting people in those constituencies to look like, to sound like, um, for them to match up with the personality of Boris Johnson. They should, they should have been aware that there was going to come a, come a time where Boris Johnson was not the leader anymore. And so should have been fluid enough in their own personal branding to be like, not necessarily being able to align themselves with Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. Arguably, they didn't really have to do much Mm -hmm. realigning to be a Trussite. Um, But at least have some sort of heft to you as a constituency MP rather than just being a Boris Johnson 2019er that you can avoid these embarrassing moments in parliament three years on, four years on where you're being forced to defend somebody for no apparent reason apart from he got me into parliament in the first place. Right. That's that's the main, I think that's the main takeaway is it just seems irrational. Yeah. Like most, regardless of your political persuasions, if someone, someone with an opposing view is making a point, you could hopefully most of the time you can at least understand their perspective and it is a rational point this just seems wildly mm-hmm. irrational and just like bring i don't understand it to what end they're trying to do this someone made the point that there's now three kind of spheres within the conservative 
parliamentary party. There's those who think they should back the Privileges Committee report, like Theresa May. Mm-hmm. There's those who <laughs> who are abstaining, like Rishi Sunak, like and then, most of the party. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then and then there's like the, the the braying, screaming, crying. This is a stitch up. Yeah, like and like, Nimi, but, but that, that's Jake, the Jake question. Then, even, it? But, it, but it's interesting that like, the blend between them. Jacob Rees-Mogg was decrying this. Mm-hmm. Nadine Dorris is talking. talks about it being a stitch up. Mm-hmm. But they have is they don't have the. It's all fart no poo. They yeah, they don't have the cojones to well, follow the, through with it. Doris didn't even show up yet. Well, I mean, she's is she able to go she's into Parliament? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. still an MP. Yeah, um, but didn't show up. Mog did show up. Said he was going to vote against it and then abstained. I, I think is that are they, are they playing kind of double politics and are they having their cake and eating it too in terms of they can say I was they can point to one thing and say I was loyal to Boris Johnson yeah but if that goes down the pan then they could say I didn't vote against the the privileges committee report. yeah 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 I mean I I don't think I either of us in fact are um, deep enough into the inner workings of the Conservative Party to know. know whether I talk to them a lot. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You probably know better than I do. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how much weight it holds to be a Johnsonite anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. the, Sunak is the leader of the party. Sunak is willfully inconspicuous about his alliance to Boris Johnson or his allegiance to Boris Johnson um, or even his friendship. Um, didn't didn't say whether he was going to vote for or against or abstain if he was going to be in the parliament yesterday. Mm. Um, last minute made a call with Zelensky and the Prime Minister yeah. of Sweden there was, just a, to such, say that he was going to be busy at the time. John, like, John Crace had a good line about Sunak always phones Zelensky when he's feeling guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is Vladimir, yeah. I'm feeling a bit sad. What are you up to, man? How's it going? Yeah. Um, Tough day at the office for me. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine. Sorry, I'm you going, have no idea. I am idea. going on and on. <laughs> How are you, How are Vladimir? You? How are you? <laughs> I, I really sympathize with what you're going through, Zelensky. <laughs> no, no, no. No jets for you just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a weird dynamic where people like, cause Mog doesn't really need to, to show any allegiance to Boris Johnson anymore. You know, he's, he's still going to be the constituency candidate in mm-hmm. Northeast Somerset, mm-hmm. whether he gets in or not is another question. I think that's still up in the air, isn't it? With recent polling and whatever, but he's a stalwart of this conservative party for this generation of conservatives he is going to be there for a very very long time Mm -hmm. he doesn't need boris johnson uh nadine dorries probably does i don't think it 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 just doesn't make sense to me to have someone like that that can go like oh well look i've got my boris badge and i've got my rishi badge Mm -hmm. and i've got you know it he he can be his own he can be his own section of the Conservative Party. He can probably even co-opt what has been left behind by Boris Johnson in, in many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if that is the play then, if, if you are... Because I, I kind of disagree. I think there is some sense of being a Johnsonite mm. in that Johnsonism is far more popular or has, had, has won more votes in the Conservative Party at large than Sunak 
ism. No, yeah. absolutely. I, so, absolutely. So, so, so he's still popular with the members. Mm. It's still the mandate that the government was elected with. Yeah. So I, I think I think there is some sense in maintaining the Johns the Johnson the Johnson aura mm. around you. I think maybe it's just by, by I think clinging onto it. It's, it's it's like I don't know. Like the question is, where do you go from now? You know, in, in, it's all of, stamped. In, instead of off, embracing Gordon Brown, it's like being like deathly loyal to Tony Blair because mm-hmm. it's it's not it, not going to be that different. It's just a different figurehead. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and one person won you the election, and one person is less charismatic. Don't you what, dare! Or the, no, the, the, <laughs> get there Gordon is, there Brown's is, <laughs> name out of your mouth. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know. He has less. Gordon Brown had less star power. Mm. And Tony Blair did. Mm-hmm. Sunak has less star power than Boris Johnson does. Yeah, and there's other <laughs> there's other parallels, of course, such as the not done. I, th- I thought there was going to be a good bit there, but oh, sorry, is that my fault? That's, yeah, I think so. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's other parallels. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. I'm sorry. Even Ollie would have done that. That's fine. I'm sorry. I'm not as um, well versed in podcast banter as <laughs> i can tell yeah <laughs> yeah um why do you think the mps who spoke in favor of the committee's report what do you think they were why do you think they did that why were they not like the tory mps yeah well, like theresa may etc et mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean it's fairly obvious because they, they don't need they, they don't need to appeal to anything they are big beasts yeah they have the trappings and privileges of being a former prime minister, and I maybe, and I imagine maybe they want to detoxify the brand of the Conservative Party to, to some way, and they are giving some heft, yeah, to it. I Do think you, there's there's also an aspect of it of just being a bog standard parliamentarian. You know, we've mm. appointed this committee to look into this. This is what the committee has found. That's what we're going with. Yeah, you know, like. I mean, people like Theresa May were already a bit sus of Partygate before the committee report anyway. But I think outside of people who were enemies or not aligned with Boris's brand of conservatism, I think there's, there's definitely folk in the party that would have just taken if a read that the privileged committee has found and taken these findings or has found him him to him, Boris Johnson to have been in contempt of parliament and that's what we're voting for mm-hmm. we're not we're not going to argue the toss over it because on the other side you've got people like your Leonichis, your Nick Fletchers your Bill Cashes your Jacob Rees-Mogg's that are getting into the minutiae of it like they're just clutching at straws to find a reason as mm-hmm. to not vote for it. And if you scratch beneath the surface of that, it's purely just undying support for Boris Johnson rather than anything that's, that's, that has any, um, any place in reality, any substance or any place in reality, you know, um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, is it like Theresa May just having a last fuck you to Boris? Or I don't know. I think maybe she, to get inside the mind of Theresa May. Mm. Um, oh, to have a minute. <laughs> I think she. Oh, in, ter- in terms of her profile and her legacy, she's a much, she's a much more serious 
person. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that she's gone from ousted, disgraced former prime minister to being like big beast of the parliamentary party. Mm-hmm. I think that, and it is comparison. It's a flattering comparison to, if you look at the, the last five conservative prime ministers, or sorry, the last five prime ministers, Cameron, May, Johnson, Truss, Sunak, there's a real breadth in terms of ability, mm-hmm. suitability for the role. Yeah. And May was pretty disastrous prime minister mm-hmm. and did some things that have had je- dreadful consequences. Mm-hmm. For Even outside country. of being prime minister as home secretary. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful. Uh, and, and so she can't be excused or she can't be um, portioned off from taking some of the responsibility for the kind of dire straits the country's in. Mm-hmm. But you do see her and you think, ooh, there's a serious it's woman. It's funny, isn't it? It's, 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 it's the open window so, of conservative prime ministers has shifted so far to the right yeah. that even your bog standard mid-2000s right-winger mm-hmm. looks a bit more centrist yeah, in yeah, comparison yeah. to the yeah, rest yeah. of them. It just seems, it, it's also just such bollocks, like the presentation stuff, about like, oh, she looks serious, so we must... Yeah, it's kind of what they used to say about Corbyn. Was like Corbyn. There was a time where remember when Corbyn dressed scruffier, mm-hmm. and then he, always, he then he got nicer. Button suits. up your shirt, fix your tie, yeah, yeah, and sing, sing the, the national, national anthem. anthem. And then he, then he did. That he, 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 yeah, he he. And I think probably that was maybe a sensible decision. But I, the argument that someone because they look worse shouldn't be a serious politician is unfortunately, I think to a certain extent, true. Because if that's the if one person doesn't really consume the news, sees a picture in the front of a newspaper of scruffy person versus mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I want the I want the um, well presented person in the nice suit or the nice skirt suit or the nice with the nice haircut or the smart yeah yeah, yeah rather than someone wearing an anorak. I think that is. I think it's thing. very Westminstery as well because, like, I know I could I could rhyme off the top of my head maybe five Irish politicians that look fucking awful. And have been elected representatives for but, twenty plus years. But have they been in the Taoiseach? No. That, oh God, no. That's, but that, that's my, yeah, that's they're my all point. like that's my point. They're not establishment the, parties. No, that's they're not. That's like, my point. It's, it's not about being a fringe mm, figure. Yeah, it's about. I think it's about this be, being taken seriously because because they they I think it would probably happen in Ireland as well. Mm. In that, what about Boris Johnson? Then he's the exception that, but, to the rule. No, in that the, way, he, isn't I think he? he's maybe he's maybe the exception that proves the rule. In that his presentation was so deliberate. Mm-hmm. As in, he would like yeah. ruffle up his hair, and he was his thing was I don't care. Mm-hmm. I, as he, he didn't actually he didn't actually not care. Mm-hmm. It was constructed uh, buffoonery. Yeah. yeah, politics is all about image construction. Mm-hmm. On that bombshell, should we leave that there? I need to process that. Yeah, so I think we should leave. <laughs> I just it thought there. you were thinking something about yeah. politics. Wow, <laughs> image image matters. Yeah. I'll come in a shirt next time. Sorry, Ed. <laughs> that was just, that was actually just commenting on your outfit. You look fucking awful. Yeah, yeah. It's the Politics Show podcast. Let's talk Jingle Bell Flop, right. which is the great pun that Bruce Law has come up with regarding a Partygate. So the Mirror published a video, the first video taken at a, a party held by the Sean Bailey campaign on the 14th of December. 2020. Uh, you've probably seen the video by now. If not, go and look at it for context. Context is good. Mm-hmm. Um, my my first point I'd like to make is the party looks like it absolutely stinks. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because the party is 
2020, right? Yeah. But the photograph that we're all probably familiar with is, was it published in 2021? Like in around Christmas 2021. Yeah, when Partygate was kind of taken mm. off. And that picture indicated a fucking sick party. Like, <laughs> there was a lot of people all crowded around, jolly, merry, everything that you might want in a Christmas party. But the video is just two people twirling. Yep. Very poorly. Very <laughs> people having conversation about whether or not they should be. Yeah, just, just don't post it. It's fine. Yeah, I think what's interesting is it's the... They just how flagrant, flagrantly mm. they've uh, they abandoned the rules. They know what they're doing is wrong, but then also one of them thought fit to document it. Yeah, which I don't, I don't. It's like you know the bit in The Simpsons where like Jimbo's <laughs> Jimbo's filming them destroying mailboxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no evidence <laughs> of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think at the time you couldn't mingle indoors. It wasn't. It was in that one of the. It was that weird in between period between lockdowns two and three. I think I read that it was. The day before, the day after it, London had gone into tier, tier three, oh, which okay. I can't remember what that meant no, now, but I'm sure I knew at the time what it meant. Uh, but it definitely not allowed, right? Yeah, well, there, yeah there absolutely, no absolutely it wasn't allowed. No, it absolutely wasn't allowed. Um, it's more just like, at this point, I, you just, it's it's helpful to see to see how how egregious the rule breaches where it's also kind of like, I don't know, at the cost of, I don't know, social embarrassment, probably to somewhat professional, not ruin, because they seem to have been not punished at all. Mm. By the well, three government. of them are getting gong war- gongs. For yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, I'm going to come on to that. Well, not for that, but <laughs> <laughs> consequently are getting gongs. We'll, we'll come on to that in a wee bit. But I think, I don't know, if you were, you saw during lockdown videos of like, genuine raves illegal raves that were happening mm-hmm. and they looked like quite class to be very honest. yeah you were a lot of like, fun a, come, logging off a zoom quiz seeing that and you're like oh god i wish i was at that not yeah, yeah you yeah. see that you're like quite enjoying my zoom quizzes that was, <laughs> that, was <laughs> that was way better than yeah i'll pass on that actually yeah um, and you touched on there a couple of the people involved in the campaign Sean Bailey's been made a lord in Boris Johnson's resignation honours. So Lord Lord Bailey. Mm-hmm. And I only read that this morning actually. That passed my radar radar quite well last week. I don't know how I didn't spot that he remains. Yeah. <laughs> like well, as his mayor mayoral campaign was, just like coasting along the Very bottom. good. Like <laughs> more more satire about the London <laughs> mayoral election campaign. And also uh Ben Mallet has been awarded an OBE, and there's a big, um, big fury. Is that how you say that word? Furore, furore. Um, about that and how that Rishi Sunak has not. He, he's committed. He said he's not going to revoke the honours, presumably for the previous reasons. As a, a, a prime minister doesn't interfere with another prime minister's resignation honours, except if they're Nadine Dorries. Yes, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But um, yeah, do you care if they get? An OB and a lord. I mean, this kind of stuff really passes me by. It's um, the honors are quite a strange thing as a foreigner in this country <laughs> um, to to get like a higher rung on the social ladder because you're called sir or have OB, CB, whatever other letters there are that can go at the bo- at the end of your name. 
So does it bother me that this round of nominations seems more nepotistic and brazen than previous ones? Not really. They're all they're all that way, right? Um, I think the interesting part of it is what you were mentioning there a second ago of like, we're now at a point where people who were thought about as not really deserving of gongs, like Ben Mallet, um, Sean Bailey, does he really deserve to go to the House of Lords? What has he for, actually... For, for losing a mayoral For losing a mayoral election, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It's a bit bizarre. Nico Alana um, gets one then. Huh? Nicola or Milana gets one. Well, then. I mean, I, that's something I could get behind. Um, Count Binface, I don't think, needs one. He's a count. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Binface lower, not on earth. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's like... If... If people were wondering before why X, Y, and Z person are getting nominated to the House Lords or getting OBCVs, whatever it might be, now it starts to look like they had something on somebody. You know, in my eyes, it looks like, say, someone like Ben Mallet is like, you better give me an OBE. Otherwise, <laughs> I know a guy that has a video, you know, uh. but it transpires that he gets his OBE and the video leaks, right? So I don't know if the person taking a video is somebody that expected to get an OBE and got shafted like Nadine, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is all, this this is is second, all I can this, see. This is the second week in a row in that a full-on conspiracy has been suggested at the heart of Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. Can it be anything other than that? Like, I think giving a Russian guy that bought the Evening Standard a lordship because I can is I think, is kind of on a trajectory along with all of the others. I think it's much more simple than a conspiracy. I think he's just giving doing nice things for his friends, which isn't which is no sure, which yeah. is wrong. I just I just don't really believe that there's this is like at the heart of conspiracy. Uh, like at the heart of this, there is a conspiracy to I don't know, entrench Johnson's Johnsonism will be <laughs> sleeper Johnson agents in the House of Lords. The upper house will be yeah. dominated by Johnsonites. Yeah, uh, to make sure to make sure don't know, Brexit gets done forever and everything. Yeah. I don't know. I just I mean permanent Brexit. It's as simple as nepotism. I think that's I don't really think mm -hmm. whoever maybe the person who's leaked Stanley it. Stanley got blocked, didn't he? Yeah, and that was but it's not by Rishi, by the Holak? Pol Holak, yeah. Holak. Yeah. 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 Um do you think that... No. no, you don't think. We were having a conversation in the office and we've actually fallen into the trap there. We were having a conversation, a conversation before this that when these stories come out about Boris Johnson's resignation honours list, Boris mm. Johnson's not um, resignation at all, things like that, stories like that, there's been a ton of them in the, like, since his, he resigned, was it a week on Friday? Whatever it was. And yeah. the entirety of certainly Westminster political journalism seems to grind to a halt. And everyone is, all the news that you see is talking about this, that I would argue are utterly, they're not that consequential to the public at large. What is consequential, I think, and I haven't actually seen that much discussion of it, the discussion about has been like, oh, look at this video and these people in this video are being are getting an OBE or mm -hmm. a seat in the House of Lords. Mm -hmm. It's not really been 
I think by that point in 2020, I looked, I think it was like around 70,000 people had died with like, had or yeah, what was mentioned on X 70,000 death certificates. Mm -hmm. It's being talked about less in that way, more about like, it's, it seems like, it, I think it, it, it perhaps risks being gossipy. I think you risk I think it's like we're, we're three years hence that particular event or two and a half years from then mm -hmm. that it, it it's now at the stage where you can't you can't get the same emotional reaction to people partying when they weren't supposed to party three years ago but it's it's kind of we're so far gone from the fact that there's less emotion about it now that you kind of have to you have to a attach the emotion to other things right and i think it's the honors aspect of it that people are attaching the, mo the emotions to rather than trying to hark back to actually we all went through a really shitty period and during that time these people were carrying on as normal that's what it should be about rather than oh well this guy here is this person now or that guy here is now uh tipped to be a lord or whatever it's it it's irrelevant to it it should just be that power was dictating what ordinary people should do and ordinary people were kind of left by the wayside and just watching these these people brazenly break the rules that mm -hmm. were set for everybody else you know i think it's like the human element that people forget i think eventually that because everyone watched the COVID briefings every day and they gave you an update about how many people had died mm. and I, mean, I think everyone just became completely desensitized to it i wonder i i used to think i don't really understand why keir starmer doesn't open every prime minister's questions with two hundred fifty thousand people died mm. on their watch mm -hmm. i think is it is it is that do, do people think that's beyond reproach isn't it? it was too like it was too outlandish a situation and it's unfair. I think he gets stick, wouldn't he, if he but, but did it for long enough? But do you think? Do you think that'd be merited? Because I, because it's it's the biggest tragedy in generations. Yeah, it's going to be the most impactful political event of, or hopefully, our life to actually climate change is going to. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're fucked, man. <laughs> like, got, that was the beginning. Got, there's, of a, it. There's, a, there's a there's a there's a ticking clock, but I don't. I I think it's quite a compelling argument. Is that these guys were were oversaw the deaths of 250,000 people, they were reckless. Mm -hmm. They weren't following the rules. Mm -hmm. Think about Hancock, Boris Johnson's birthday party, yeah. this, and um, I, I, I think it, that's actually a really compelling argument as to why they are not fit for government. It, they were supposed to be, like, like, like people talk about Boris Johnson was the worst prime minister for that possible moment. And well, well, if you're not fit to be prime minister during a time of national crisis, when you need, you should never be fit. You should never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think there's a real case to be made for Labour absolutely hammering, hammering that point. And I think mm -hmm. people might take it. You know, when people say, "Oh, you can't make this political," yeah, but it, it is intrinsically political. The whole thing will have ramifications mm -hmm. forever in terms of. Let's not make politics political. <laughs> but you know what I mean. As in, like, we need the the, the country's still buggered, still recovering. Kids who missed out on like, early years education, mm -hmm. etc. Kids, I think there's I've heard seen anecdotal evidence or heard anecdotal evidence about kids who haven't really been socialised correctly because they didn't really see anybody mm -hmm. from like the time they were born. And well, there's also the on the I'm not an economist, 
the um the economic recovery in the UK is far far slower than mm-hmm. the rest of Europe in general um why that is is it due to the mismanagement of the the pandemic itself is it how the economy operated during that time is it brexit like there's there's many factors yeah i think and um, well the conversation's been fairly heavy <laughs> it's, it's about to get heavier uh, <laughs> on ava, a lighter note the covid inquiry <laughs> it's about to get heavier and um, ava spoke to people from covid bereaved recently and we're going to play a couple of the clips from that no. My name is Leshi Chandrapala and I'm a spokesperson for COVID Bereaved Families for Justice. My dad was a bus driver in um, in London. He contracted COVID and died in May 2020. He was 64 and very fit and had an incredibly good, healthy lifestyle and was looking forward to retirement later on that year. He was, you know, um, out there on the front line and then he'd just come back home. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything else other than working. He was just the love of my life, really. It looked like if you were a bus driver working in, say, March, April, May of 2020. He was um, coming into contact with um, a large amount of the population and they were, you know, there was high levels of COVID at that point. He didn't have any PPE. They gave bus drivers gloves, but no masks and there were no... Um, there were no safety measures put into place that I know of at the time of his getting contracting COVID. We bought him a mask, but I th- it was it was not the right type of mask. It was not fit for purpose, you know. He was very scared. Um, and I remember him, he had washed his hands so, so much that they were, you know, they were sore and they were bleeding. Boris Johnson asked my dad to keep the city moving and that's what my dad did with a lot of grace and dignity. I wasn't able to say goodbye to my dad. Um, he was ventilated at Ealing Hospital. Not being able to be there when he was so sick um, and not be able to hold his hand or say goodbye has left me traumatised, to be honest. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Not another one? It's the Politics Show podcast. Right, even more COVID stuff. Maybe, maybe we just like can't her. get enough. We can't get enough. Uh, David Cameron was in front of the COVID inquiry today. Mm-hmm. What was he up to? Um, well, he was speaking at the uh, resilience and preparedness section of the COVID inquiry. There's something like eight or nine um, modules, 
that they're going to be doing mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the next, I think, year and a half. The whole thing is meant to be going over. Um, and so David Cameron was in today talking about the the governments of the past and their how they prepared the UK for um, hypothetical scenarios where there would be a pandemic in the future. Um, and he initially started out by talking about um, the Ebola pandemic, remember that, uh, Zika, remember that, and then was more or less nailed on uh, Project Cygnus, I think it's called, um, which was a government kind of, it was like a war game done by the government to uh, establish how prepared the UK was going to be for a flu type pandemic um i think that's familiar to us right of during the pandemic we, we were hearing in the news that the uk was prepared for an influenza type pandemic not a respiratory pandemic mm-hmm. um and so that was kind of his his defense was we did project sickness we had um x y and z outcomes from it and these were outcomes that we enacted to some degree uh, get on to that in a sec. Um, but for an influenza pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, then he was asked about the uh, austerity program post-2008 and whether that had any impact, if at all. That's where his kind of defense up until that point fell down, where he was explaining how they were prepared for X pandemic. Austerity came around, underfunding, um, cuts to public services, particularly health, resulted in the UK having little to no preparation for it. Never mind a respiratory infection like COVID, but an influenza pandemic. Um, like again, to hark back to during the pandemic, we were hearing about lack of PPE, out of date PPE, all these kinds of things were um, were flagged during Operation Sickness or Project Sickness or whatever it was called. Um, and so he was asked quite bluntly does the did your austerity program have any impact on the uk's response to the pandemic did it um put us on the back foot yada 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 of course he's going to say no Mm. we were immensely prepared thanks to me it was everybody else who did it yeah i think he's he's absolutely the wrong person to be asking Mm. that question to because it's it's his political legacy is you think of austerity you think of cameron and Osborne, who is going to defend that? Well, interestingly, they did have, um, they had testimonial from George Osborne and Jeremy Hunt. The inquiry has received witness statements from Jeremy Hunt, who was uh, the Secretary of State for Health uh, and then Health and Social Care from 2012 to 2018. Um, were you aware uh, that during the time that, that you were in power, Mr Hunt um, laboured considerable concerns about the structural problems within a- NHS capacity and the workforce and funding, as he has set out in his witness statement? I, I've read his witness statement. I, he was a, a very capable health secretary. I worked with him extremely closely. Um, of course, he was always um, batting for the NHS and for, um, for, for all the extra resources he could get. Um, these decisions were arrived at collectively. 
Um, I agree with a lot of what's in his witness statement, uh, you know, where he says there's more that could be done for, for instance, for future workforce planning. But I will absolutely defend the record of the government in both getting control of the finances and increasing funding for the health service at the same time. Aren't these concerns, Mr Cameron, uh, that, that Jeremy Hunt sets out, structural problems with the NHS uh, and workforce and capacity, the real issues which preparedness for a public health emergency needs to address, not papers and guidelines and protocols, but action to remedy fundamental problems? Well, I think what's needed to prepare for a pandemic is, is first of all, you've got to have that overall economic capacity, um, as George Osborne puts in his statement, without our action, you could have had almost a trillion of extra debt. And you'd have, as well as a coronavirus crisis and a public health crisis, you'd have a um, financial and economic and, and, and fiscal crisis at the same time. It was a shame that was only, I think he was only on for an hour and it was maybe the last 20 minutes of his contribution that they were talking about austerity. Like you, you arguably could have examined him for the entire hour on austerity and how that impacted the UK's preparedness. But initially when he came out with the, I think he said something along the lines of, we, if we didn't do austerity, we would have been even worse prepared for a pandemic, which is like, the pandemic was in 2050. We would have recovered by that point to have then had funding for the pandemic. But it's not my fault that it came in 2020. But there was even, there was, Jeremy Hunt and um, George Osborne are both going to be at this inquiry in the next week or two. Um, and they're going to be testifying on the exact same thing as David Cameron has been today. So it's going to be interesting when it comes to George Osborne, who I think in in their reference today, um, in their reference to his testimony, uh, said that he acknowledged that cuts to public services impacted um, how the NHS could operate mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. before it came to a pandemic. Uh, Jeremy Hunt also in his testimony had said that, and I think he's been pretty public about it as well, maybe before he was Chancellor, um, but certainly during Johnson and Trust times, he was, he was pretty vocal about how he wasn't really given the scope and the resource to do what he wanted to do to reform the NHS and to kind of prepare the UK for any eventuality. Mm -hmm. um, so they didn't necessarily catch him out, but I think in the next two or three weeks, when everybody else has their say, they're going to be saying, no, 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 you, you mistake. It wasn't my fault. No, it was no, David's fault. It was David's fault. Yeah. Being the face of it. I think what's interesting about, well, maybe just the existence of David Cameron, but not just the existence <laughs> of David Cameron, but David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, is that Rishi Sunak has to deal with four of his immediate predecessors still being quite active in public life. Mm -hmm. Two of them are still MPs up until very recently. It was three. Yeah. And so, any, and as a result of them being former prime ministers, anything they do is noteworthy. Mm -hmm. So you could be saying, I don't know, you could be making a really good point about you're doing something amazing for a, say, special needs education in the north of England but that's not as sexy as <laughs> David Cameron, David Cameron yeah. at the COVID inquiry uh, uh, I think I think it's interesting like he, he's at constant risk of being undermined mm. by his predecessor which is a pretty weak position to be in for it's quite I mean it's un unprecedented in many ways isn't it that like usually you would I mean if you were Cameron 
you didn't really have. It's not as though John Major was no, and it was looking around. It was, it was, and they were they were, they were <clears throat> viewed as distinct political eras. Well, it was twenty years later, yeah, as it should have been, but <laughs> it's impossible to separate Cameronism, Mayism, Johnsonism, Trumpism, Sunakism from because it's yeah been five prime ministers in thirteen years, mm-hmm. which is I don't know, just it'd be pissed off. Mm. You're walking up and down the stairs at Downing Street looking at all the portraits. Do you think, though, he does have he does have some ability, Cameron, I mean here, to disassociate from the four that have come since him? Yeah, I think... From, I, I think... from being the guy that was like, I fucked it, they can deal with it from now on. Well, uh, then you've got May, Truss, Boris, or May, Boris, Truss, Sunak, that have to deal with the consequences of what what a really, really small part of David Cameron's tenure was. They now have to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. of that. And he's not really been very vocal about Brexit in general, has he? Not, um, not as far as I'm aware. I think mm-hmm. he just washed his hands of it. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't really make many public appearances post-Greensill, mm-hmm. I suppose. Well, yeah. I, I totally, he's kind of, he, he's, a, he's another disgraced ex-Prime Minister. Not another one. I think there is. Um yeah, I think it'd be inter- it'd be interesting to see. I think what's also very interesting is the uh, BMA council chair Philip Banfield said that Cameron's austerity cuts ground down and pulled apart pulled apart public health systems, meaning the NHS didn't stand a fighting chance hmm. when the pandemic hit. So I think that's pretty damning. Yeah, but I mean that's what that's essentially what was put to him today by the COVID inquiries legal team, um, and. In te- again, in testimony from George Osborne and Jeremy Hunt, you know, so like his own people are acknowledging that he ground down the health service to a point that it couldn't deal with a winter virus. Never mind a pandemic, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like it's it it is quite funny to have that throwback of like remember this guy, you know, like having him there being this not necessarily enigma but a person that we've not heard from for a very very long time mm-hmm. sitting back down being like oh, yeah of course i'll sit down with the covid inquiry <laughs> anything to help uh-huh. and they're like uh you remember 2008 2009 2010 when you literally destroyed the country no that you've had improved i don't recall no the economy is not in tatters we have never had it so good it's the politics show podcast you're making big promises, but you have already U-turned on your £28 billion a year investment into green transition. Your shadow chancellor said it shows you can be trusted with the public finances. But doesn't it also suggest, as with Brexit, tuition fees, nationalisations, you're just like all of those other politicians who can't be trusted to keep your promises? On the £28 billion, we are doubling down. We're not backing off. And it's really important that we say this uh, for two reasons for uh, the policy position we've adopted. The first is a matter of trust, the very thing you touch on, Beth, which is we said that our fiscal rules were in place. Rachel set them out two years or more ago. Inflation now is in a completely different place to where it was two years ago because the Tories have made such a mess and done such damage to the economy. But at the same time, as we work through our plans and set out what we'll do in years one, two, three, showing just how serious we are, it's clear that we can ramp up to that £28 billion 
pounds. And what I would say, Beth, is this. When I say to um, people in the sector that we will partner with, that we want clean power by 2030, they don't say you're somehow backing down or lacking ambition. They say, whoa. Should we talk about GB Energy? You were very excited about this. I was. Um, <laughs> this might all get lighter, listeners. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's not as dark, certainly, but it's not as sexy. Um, it's, it could be sexier than this. Yeah, so Keir Starmer has launched his fourth mission for government because he can't do anything policy announcement that's not a mission or a promise mm -hmm. or something. Labour's Green Prosperity Plan, which will cut bills, create jobs and provide energy security. So it's going to end all new, that's the keyword, new North Sea oil and gas exploration. If it wins the next general election, uh, overturn the ban on new onshore wind mm. and create Great British Energy, a new publicly owned clean energy company, which they want to uh, host in Scotland. Um, yeah, thought, thoughts? I think there there's a couple of interesting aspects to it. Um, most of all, in, for me, I think having the, I didn't he call it the beating, Scotland can be the beating heart of Britain mm -hmm. with GB Energy. Just purely on a geographical basis I thought that was quite funny because I was like maybe it's the throbbing brain of Britain rather than <laughs> the beating it's heart. not the central <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well Scotland's so big that like I don't know maybe yeah like the entire That's probably Scotland hop half yeah <laughs> this is like Inverness this is yeah. like the mind and soul of Britain uh. um, I thought it's I think it's quite an interesting electoral strategy when you're taking just Scotland into account um, the three you were talking last week about, like, well, you touched on it a little bit, um, of the SNP's woes recently, how that's kind of tarnishing their reputation. Is it tarnishing their, um, electoral heft is something that you can't tell until a year from now, mm -hmm. but it's indicated by some polling that Labour are going to be the majority party in Scotland at the next general election. Mm -hmm. um, you add into the mix, but the, like this kind of polling has come out before the announcement today of GB Energy being stationed up in Scotland, yada, yada, yada. Um, I think it's kind of a counter-separatist point from labor to be like i i mean you can remain ambiguous about so, scotland <laughs> but i want I to know, talk about I, this. no no i was laughing at the word separatist right yeah. no i, I mean I, like I, you know I like the nationalist kind of no 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 no, no. I, I, I know exactly what you meant but I, I think separatist just reminds me of star wars when people say it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's also quite lame to be describing the smp as separatist i think they, they, just, they just don't have the is it the edge is it tom harwood always talks about separatists Mm. Separatism, yeah, because because it, it's, it's a choice of words to be like it's independence. It's like you're being yeah. willfully disrupting. It's it's it's, it's more evocative. I it? acknowledge that it was probably a poor choice of words, not least from a man who is a 32 county Republican. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you have your own issues with separatism. Yeah, I I rolled my own eyes when uh, I said it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think it's um, an interesting way to kind of take the fight to the SNP to be like, right, you've been, your your entire point up until now has been Westminster doesn't offer us anything, Westminster takes, doesn't give, blah, blah, blah. Um, Labour are now coming with a strategy to say, well, here we are, giving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we are, um, reindustrializing, 
Here we are um, reskilling, providing new technologies, new industries to the people of Scotland. Um, it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks to see how the SNP can kind of can spin it in a way of like, well, actually, we've, we've always wanted to do this, but we've never had the I authority. Th I think uh, Hamza Yusuf commented on it and he said, well, how can you trust Labour about green energy if they've already if they've already U-turned on their... Was it, 80, was it 85 billion? No, it was 28. 20, well, 85 yeah. billion would, would be <laughs> even better. They it would be understandable that, that they U-turned on that, yeah. but 28. I, I, I think also as well, it's important to acknowledge that green energy is good. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a, there is a real need to pivot away from fossil fuels. There's a finite amount of them. Mm -hmm. If we can pivot to a green green energy, yeah. I also quite, I also think it's quite funny when people object to onshore wind farms, saying they like, but for like, what about my sheep, re sheep. I actually kind of get. But people are like for reasons of natural beauty, mm -hmm. as if we've not had wind farms in this country for decades now. I find that a very interesting argument. Because anytime, whenever I'm on a train and I see a wind farm out my window, not that I think it's beautiful. I think it's, <laughs> I'm not sat there going, oh, no, finally. <laughs> I've the public I waited an hour for this. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's, it's a really nice They're not image, it's, it's, right? It, 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 They're not ugly. No. But it's also nice to reflect on a wind farm. You see it there and you're like, we are doing something to change the world or to change how we consume energy, create energy, whatever it might be. I think it's actually quite a meditative scene to have a wind farm. <laughs> <laughs> like when I'm walking through a new built housing estate and I see my solar panels on the roofs, I can't help but think of <laughs> the possibilities <laughs> in the future. Neighbor, in like, the tour of Britain <laughs> of infrastructure and just like write poems about it. <laughs> I, I, I don't... It's interesting that you want to shag the windmills, but <laughs> um, you know, but I, I, I kind of know what you mean up until the waxing lyrical. I mean, they're not an eyesore. Was what that yeah. tangent was going? <laughs> on. You don't like seeing them. <laughs> You're embellishing that. I'm fine with windmills. You're fine. With, I, I think just like it's just they are ruining. They are loud and they are ugly. And mm -hmm. I don't think. I mean, it's also the question of like, how close do you need to be stood to a wind turbine <laughs> to, to acknowledge that it's loud? It's so loud. <laughs> right Just close me. enough to get your arm chopped off oh, by yeah. one of the turbines, yeah. And it's also, I don't know, it's a good thing. So if, I don't know, if a field is less nice, but the world doesn't end, mm -hmm. I'd much rather that field continued. Yeah, I mean, the... There are not a lot of arguments to be made against it, um, but the ones that are there have a lot of backing, don't they? Like, you see it in the States, you see it here to some extent with people like Reform. Is is a Reform or Reclaim? Richard Tice, it's Reform, isn't it? Yes, and yeah. I think Lawrence Fox is Reclaim. Reclaim, I think. Um, so Tice, the thing I find most interesting about him is that he he willfully ignores renewables as a viable option. Or no, he doesn't ignore them. He says, fine, we can, we can have renewables, but they're not going to replace oil and gas. So what we should do, rather than building up to the point where they will replace oil and gas, is frack. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know? that ruins it more. Yeah, that ruins the, 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 <laughs> but what about your scenery? Yeah, what about your water basin? Yeah. Oh. You know, yeah, like there's the alternatives to what is being proposed in green agendas across the globe is not a viable future opportunity, mm. right? You can turn around and say, yeah, we're going to phase it out. We're going to get to net zero. But in the meantime, we're going to go ham. We're going to go absolutely nuts for the next yeah. 50 years. Doesn't make sense because mm. you're going to get to the point and like it was something that was in the conversation this morning about um, GB Energy was that Keir was kind of nabbed a couple of times by journalists who were saying, okay, so you mentioned it briefly there a second ago of you're not going to give any new oil and gas contracts, but what about the ones that are yet mm. to be, that have been approved mm. and are yet to like break ground on? And it's just, oh, well, you know, they're done, you know, so they're going to continue on. Lesser of two evils, sure, mm. but should we be divesting completely? Probably. It shouldn't be a case of we're going to have well, we're not even going to have 28 billion, you know, we're going to eventually have 28 yeah. billion. Do you, do you, do you, I actually think that might actually just be good politics from Starmer. Because if he was to commit to divesting away entirely from oil and gas, mm. there's thousands of people in Scotland, in Scotland especially, who work in yeah. the gas industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not going to vote for a man who says he's going to destroy your Take team. your job, yeah. Yeah, I think that might be in it. Like, I, even if he wants to do that, which would be ambitious. Mm-hmm. But can they not work on the current oil and gas fields for the next 50 years? Like, well, yeah, no, but the North Sea oil and gas field has a but, lot. But, but I don't know. But also, you you would like to think your job is going to last longer. That it wouldn't have an end point, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but yeah. You're like, you're not going to win votes by saying you're going to, even though you're creating jobs, mm-hmm. they're like, if you, if you, you don't want to lose your job. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's to not alienate those voters potentially. Sure. And I guess it's, even if you were to say, turn around and say, we're going to reskill you, um, rather than having you working on these new oil and gas fields, we're going to reskill you to be a hydroelectric technician or a um, wind power specialist or whatever it might be. (laughs) You're not going to be getting paid like (laughs) the popular trade. Um, You're not going to be getting paid the same as an average labourer working on an oil field off the coast of Scotland, right? Mm. You, there's just no way that you're going to be getting that. Sure, there's engineering jobs in renewables that are getting quite highly paid work, but by the time you scale that up, it's going to level out and people are not going to be getting paid extortionate amounts of money that they are getting paid to risk their lives on oil rigs mm. in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, you're going to be getting paid a respectable wage. Um, and respectable to all of us is good, but to the people that are getting paid obscene amounts of money now yeah. are not going to be very happy with that, right? But they know they might they might like not risking their life. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> if, if if I've risked my life so far... It's like, um, you know, the is it the deep sea welders? Mm. They get paid so much money because of how dangerous their job is. Like, the guys that change light bulbs on those like... What are they? Like in America, the um, electricity pylon things, they oh, change a light bulb on them yeah, twice yeah. a year and get paid something like 70 grand to do it. They might be happier with a... Have we don't know. Has anyone asked them? Have you considered being an admin for GD Energy? 
have you anything else to say about gb energy i yeah i just thought it was quite interesting the the scotland aspect of it pissed off about the the spin put on the 28 billion figure of like one can argue that that's realistic paul and i think rachel reese is arguing mm-hmm. that point isn't it is that i'm a realist mm-hmm. i've realized that i've done my calculations and it's not adding up you're like well why did you even announce it then yeah <laughs> why have you not yeah. done the calculations when you announced it in the first place mm-hmm. right um and to get to the point where like stammer is saying today we're we're not actually reneging on our promise. We're doubling down on our promise by not doing what we promised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? It's just bizarre. He's, he's really made a road for his own back because if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't be. We would be like, oh, this is a good policy, and mm. we are looking forward to our. I for one welcome our new energy, <laughs> my green overlord of overlords. It's also just to say, I think it's important to recognise that clean energy is popular. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be an effort to spin this as, oh, the the red wall won't like this, mm. but. It's so it's pathetic, popular. that kind of thing, isn't it? It's just like placing a character on typically working class communities. Yeah, it's, it's just like... She's ignorant, isn't it? I mean, we, I think we missed it earlier on where about like the Westminster bubble aspect to a lot of these stories, but like the whole... The red wall of voter is a construct of Westminster yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, you're right. So it's completely false to be turning around and saying like... A minor in Durham, say, um, may not necessarily be the kind of person that you want to be pitching green energy to, sure, because their job is already precarious as mm-hmm. it is. And if you're proposing to further phase out their job, they're not going to like that. However, there has to be, like you said, people working on oil fields that are like, I actually want to live mm-hmm. beyond 40 years so old. The miner's vegan son might enjoy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, no, that bombshell that. Vegan sons exist. <laughs> Shall we wrap up there? I enjoyed yeah. I enjoyed this podcast return to the plonic ideal of a podcast, two men talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's so pure. Thank you very much for having us, Sean. No, thank no. you very much for having me, Ed. Yes, I'm not the guest. You're the guest. I'm the guest. We're working together. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.